Tomorrow marks one year since Auckland anniversary's weekend flood, Auckland's anniversary weekend floods, which caused widespread damage and the deaths of four people. More than 7,000 homes were stickered due to damage and 600 households needed emergency accommodation. While much of the city is back to normal, some people, particularly in the western areas, are still out of their homes. Auckland Council says 1,570 properties are still to be categorised and as of December there were just over 8,000 outstanding insurance claims. Soon we will speak with Auckland Council Deputy Group Recovery Manager Mace Ward. But with us first, Lyle Carter, who's chairman of the West Auckland is Flooding Group, which was established after the area, and in particular Murawai, bore the brunt of the inundation. Kia ora, Lyle. Thanks for being with us. Atamaria, good morning. Can we take stock of where things are at when it comes to those stickered homes in your area that are still awaiting categorisation? Yeah, so where we're sitting is we've had a we've had a number, um, albeit a small number of of properties in in our area that have been have been categorised, and for those people, uh, that is the end of a a long and fraught nightmare for them to have some certainty um, for their lives. But we do have uh, a, a number of homes that still haven't been categorised, and a year on. Um, this weekend, a year on for those people, there is just a real sense of them being stuck in the nightmare of the Auckland anniversary floods and they have been for over a year and, um, well, for a year and we are now um, thinking that these people are very much stuck between a rock and a hard place financially Um, they're paying for rental accommodation paying their mortgage and um, also the emotional and mental scars that these people and their children are carrying as well. So there's still there's still a real sense of people um, feeling stuck and and wanting things to move um, as quickly as possible. I know the reports are still coming through bit by bit. Which categories are particularly complex and slow? Which ones are you hearing the most from? Uh, so so. People generally don't know what categories they're going to fall in. People would have a. Um, <laughs> there are some people that would be hoping for a category one, which is they can just continue as they are, and um, there are people that are hoping for category three, which is a buyout. Um, but we don't know uh, any more than a guess. Um, uh, for, we don't know much certainty around p- where people are going to fall individually, because when it comes to flooding. Uh, these properties have to be assessed uh, house by house because there could be certain property level mitigations, for example, that could be put in place um, for one house and then the next house down, those property level interventions would not keep um, those people um, from intolerable risk. So there is a a process and it is complex on one side and then on the other hand, we do have... Uh, people that are desperate to move on with their lives. So that's very much um, in the short term. We need categorisation um, to have been yesterday. Um, and again, we understand the complexity of that, but we need um, people categorised. In the midterm, probably the most challenging um, categorisation that we, that we can kind of see um, going forward is the community uh, those properties that uh, need community-level inf- inter- intervention. So is this 2C. the 2C category? Okay. Now yes. explain what's yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. challenging there. 
So, so category two, ironically, has has two parts to that categorization. Uh, the first is two uh, P. So that, that that property requires property level intervention. So that might be uh, raising the house. Um, it may be um, uh, changing the contour of a driveway, for example, to keep those people from intolerable risk. Now that, that that's a little bit more straightforward because the um, the, the homeowner has a lot more autonomy because um, they are basically given the funds um, up to I believe it's 25% of the CV. Um, they're given the funds to get their, those property level interventions put in place. So so the property owner has autonomy. Then when it comes to 2C, 2C uh, indicates that there is a, a need for community level interventions. Uh, so that could be the raising or extension of a bridge, the building of a retention or detention ponds or other big capital works that needs to happen. So, so the reason why that... Uh, there's a big question hanging over 2C is how fast is it going to, how long is it going to take, how fast are they going to be to be able to put those community level interventions in place? Because while that's happening, those people that need those community level interventions to be put in place still will probably have to live in their homes and neighbourhoods and be at an intolerable risk of flooding and they could be waiting years for a bridge to be raised or extended, for example. So that's the biggest question that we have. How do we keep those people safe? And where do they live? Do they live in their home with a risk of flooding? Or do they live somewhere else? And who pays for that? Can we just get specific about it? Uh, <clears throat> are you saying most of these will be able to live in their home? Um but they're stuck in their home, essentially, and stuck in their home with what is uh, determined to be an elevated risk, but are most in their home. Well, a, a 2C is still intolerable risk, but but that that can be mitigated uh, with a community-level intervention. No, but what I'm trying so, to so get clear, in their immediate situation, are most of them able to live in, and allowed to live in their home? So they're not in a situation of paying rent to be out of their house, potentially for years, but they are living with this particular stress and circumstances for however long it takes? Well, they'd, they'd be, if they rented lived in their house, they would be living at uh, living in a property, in a home, with intolerable risk Understood. of life. Understood. Okay. That is our understanding. Okay. Yeah. Now, the, the next issue for them, of course, is also if they want to move on, just sell and move on, they don't have the option of the buyout, the, the government council no. buyout, correct? That is correct. And second... They've got the obvious issues surrounding any attempt to try and sell their properties. They really are stuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're very much stuck. And so that's why we have the question of we can't have people going back and living in homes that have intolerable risk. Um, well, who determines we, and, it as intolerable risk? Because <clears throat> I would have thought that would have required a sticker that required them out of the house. So, so the so the so the stickering system was um, was. Uh, very much a an assessment, a quick assessment of the property. Um, so, so you could you could have a property uh, that uh, a home that was white stickered, for example, which means you can go back into the home, but it could be categorised category three because there's intolerable risk. So, so the stickering system was very much just a first response. The categorisation um, determines the ongoing risk to that to that home. So the stickering. Yeah, the stickering system is quite different. Right, okay. 
Yep. In October, the council did agree, as we said, to buy out some 700 flood-damaged homes at 95% of market valuation. Three months yep. since then. Have we seen th- any of these properties get to the point where that buyout can happen? Is the process, right. in other words, straightforward enough? Yeah. Um, my, our understanding is there are a, a, a couple of properties that have reached, that have, have been given an offer. Um, but the vast majority of those um, are still waiting categorization. But there are a number and an ongoing number that have been categorized. So the process goes, the property gets categorized, um, they're assessed, it, it, it gets categorized, and then there is an exception of that categorization by the property owner, and then an offer is given. How many people are still displaced? Do you know? Uh, and paying rent or staying with relatives or separated as families? One of, the, one of the kind of microcosms that we would look at would be the street that I live in. Um, there are a, a, a number of homes on our street that have been categorised, but we know that there are a number of people on our street that are waiting categorisation and are living paying rent elsewhere, living with relatives. We even have um, one family on our street that has given up and moved to Australia. So our street is really a microcosm of, of, of kind of the events of that Auckland flooding, of, of the Auckland anniversary floods, and very much uh, a microcosm of where we're sitting one year later. And it's the case that some will be able to return, but their neighbours can't because of the kind of complexities we've been talking about with the categorizations the whole, whole communities are changed yeah the, 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 this is this is going to have an impact not just on those it, it first and foremost has the impact on those whose homes were flooded absolutely and completely and and to keep in mind in urban west auckland this isn't the first time that this has happened in 2021 during the covid level lockdowns in the middle of the night um, there was a massive flood in, in urban West Auckland that uh, impacted our street um, as well. And so um, there, there will be a number of people who won't come back to our street. Half of our street was impacted severely by the floods and the other half were not. And so if you were to drive down our street now, it would look fairly normal. But if you peel back the layer a little bit, you would see um, the grass is growing um, to uh, and the abandoned properties to waste length, and then at night time when you look out to the street, half of the street has their lights on and the other half doesn't. So it is going to have a real impact on our communities out here in West Auckland. What are the needs immediately, or rather at this stage of the recovery? We need categorisation. Um, we need certainty for our people, especially those that are displaced and are really in a... I mean, we've heard harrowing stories from from young families that are taking on extra work or extra debt to be able to um, live in a suitable house for a family um, to a retired couple who who had a home and income and that, um, that the the home and income part of that was hit by the flood um, and so they can't have anyone living in that home and that was subsidising and, and helping them out in retirement. Um, they need categorisation. Our people need categorisation. That's, that's very much in the, in, 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 the, um, in the short term. Mid-term, we need clarity around 
how long it's going to take for for those community level interventions because we don't want people going back into their homes that are at an intolerable risk and need those works to be put in place. Long term, we need to have a nationwide grown-up conversation about how and where we live and the experience of West Aucklanders, we're very much the canary in the coal mine, is that you cannot concrete your way out of a battle with nature. We have to wave the white flag and there are a number, unfortunately, I believe there are a number of communities that will need to retreat. Lyle, I don't know if you heard Morning Report's interview this morning with Richard Hills, Chair of Auckland Council's Planning, Environments and Parks Committee, uh, but it was beginning that conversation uh, right now. Um, and broadly is there support for what he concedes is going to be a painful and controversial process. This is um, about future hear, housing uh, consents, the fact that yeah. 1,400 housing consents have been granted in floodplains since this time last year, and that the RMA well, I mean, prevents councils from stopping their approval. Yeah, I think the, I think the RMA needs serious reform because you have situations, and I'm speaking very generally, of course, you have situations where um, somebody can apply for a building consent, the council says no, um, and then they can take, you know, they can take that to the environment court, and they and they have, they can, and they have won and been able to build in that place. Again, we have seen streets that have been impacted by flooding, that were impacted in the in the Auckland anniversary floods, and townhouses have sprung up on those streets in those flood zones since the Auckland anniversary floods. We, 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 we have a propensity, I think, in New Zealand to not learn from history. And I mean, this history is very recent and we haven't, there hasn't, hasn't been a stop put to those, um, to those, building, to, 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 to those um, building projects in those, in those flooded streets. And so I think we do need to have a conversation um, at a central government level around, around how we can around how we can put some um, put put some put some laws into place even in, uh, under urgency uh, some legislation into place to um, to stop these builds happening until we can assess the areas properly Yamihi Lasto with us if you wish Mace Ward is with us Auckland Council Deputy Group Recovery Manager thanks for being back with us Mace good morning uh, Tanakwe Catherine how are you good thank you there was a Sharp intake of breath in a previous interview last year with the council where it was, I think, June this year uh, that might be the time where most of these deliberations could be completed, i.e. people, everyone might have a clear picture of their categorisation. Is that still the likely date? Has it gone back? Could it come forward? Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Look, uh just listening to Lyle, look, we absolutely acknowledge the experience that people have had after the, the devastating flood events of early 2023, and that's what's driving uh, the recovery effort um, and other, you know, our elected members and others to go faster. In terms of what is the timeframes, we have a schedule which we're really driving a pace towards, and I know it's too long, um, but by the end of March, we should have the majority the vast majority of decisions for categorisation to people. The more sticky ones, and Lyle was talking about some of those 2C or community uh, level risk mitigation projects, 
Um, often we call them the making space for water projects, uh, will be take longer and that will be towards the, the end of June is our current. Why is it taking that long? Yes, it's complex, but are there enough engineers to get this work done and could it be sped up? Yeah, it is complex, as you say, and acknowledged by Lyle, and it is, as he said, house-by-house investigation. Each is just not a broad um, brush approach. Um, And these are important decisions. Look, uh, all that's understood, Mace, but do you have a staffing shortage? Could you go quicker if you had more qualified engineers? Uh, We have recruited recruited and got a surge of engineers, flood engineers, um, and geotechnical engineers for those areas of landslips. Um, and we've um, been able to unlock resource uh, through engineering consultancies from Australia and other parts of the world so that we can go faster. Over the past year, more than 1,000 landslide assessments have been completed across Auckland. What's the purpose in detail? And second, what's been learned? What are the implications? Sure. So we had uh, our satellite monitoring after Cyclone Gabriel and um, the anniversary weekend floods. We have over 10,000 landslides across the region. Of those, a significant number impacted um, homes and people and and lives uh, were lost. Uh, And also for our roading networks, so those important lifelines, um, landslides. So um, Auckland Transport and Waka Kotahi have been working on those landslides or Kiwi Rail in, in a few locations as well. Uh, Watercare, where there's key infrastructure. Um, so that's about restoring key infrastructure, making sure those landslides are stable so that infrastructure stays in place, whether it's a road, a water supply, wastewater. Uh, but also for homes, the implications are, um, in some cases, such as Midiway, um we won't be building back on some of those locations where landslides occurred. We need to, as, as Lyle said, learn from these experiences. Decisions of the past have long tails on them uh, and really understand that nature often is telling us very strongly uh, there, where it's safe to be. There was one road particularly impacted in Murawai by landslides. Uh, and as we were discussing with Lyle, some people allow back to live in that road, uh, others won't be. Is that a part uh, that is particularly impacted? Sure. So Motutara Road, Domain Crescent, um, those locations were heavily impacted by the events of Cyclone Gabriel and the landslides. Um, and the, the technical, geotechnical work we've done at a landscape scale and a property scale um, is, is really aimed at keeping people safe. So can um, you explain, will there be houses there that will have to be removed? People will be in buyout situations. Will there be other residents who can remain in Mototara Road? When you say there's areas we won't be building back, what do you mean? Uh, so to answer your first question, yes, there are houses we're buying out. And prior to Christmas, we had four sales of, of homes and we have 60 homes in the pipeline um, where people have opted into into purchase, and um, an additional thirty uh, that are ready to go. And those are individual decisions um, by homeowners. So we are making pace, but for um, Motutara Road and Miriwai, yes, there will be places where people it's safe to still continue to live, um, but there are other places where it is not safe any longer to live, and those properties will be um, come. Uh, Reserves, if you like, um, planted up 
and we'll have to rem- do some remediation in those locations. Apart from West Auckland, are there other areas of Auckland where there are still a hefty amount of categorisation to be completed, please? And where are they? Sure. Um, so in terms of you asked about landslides, our coastal margins of Auckland, coastal cliffs, um, there are a lot of homes around those coastal areas and we have over 200 um, landslide assessments, 248 that are being completed around those areas. Um, of the impacted communities across Auckland for flooding uh, and landslips, we have 20 priority areas that we're focused on um, and no one particularly escapes, Catherine. There's, um, the nature of the floods and the scale was such that they run from the north of the region to the west um, and to the south of, of the region. The east perhaps got off a little bit less, but still impacts in those locations. To a key question of Lyles have... on behalf of the people he yeah. speaks for, how long till those community-level infrastructure interventions or mitigations, how long till they will be done? Could you perhaps give an example of what might uh, happen in some of these 2C category areas? Yeah, so for 2C or the community um, risk mitigation programs, projects, uh, they they will take um, a significant amount of time and I can talk about, uh, talk about that. Uh, we've got some active projects um, at the moment which are being explored um, with so there's 12 um, active projects um, the numbers the areas are some are in, in Lyle's uh, community in the west um, and some in the south and some are on the north shore but uh, we're particularly um, the earlier ones that we're focused on are Tiawana or Mount Roskill um, Opanuku around Henderson Tiararata Creek in Mangari and the Wairau Creek in the Wairau Valley, where um, much of that flooding occurs. And, and, there and what are, are the, what are the mitigations, mate? Just at, at, at layperson's terms, and I'm sure they'll be different in but, each place. But what are some of the things we're talking about? Um, so, at a broad, really high level, um, we're naturalising streams and making more space. Daylighting for water streams, that kind of thing. Okay. Daylighting streams. So, so culvert. And things will get bigger as well. Bridges may be raised. So there will be physical construction involved. And can you indicate, you say it may take time, are we talking years rather than months? Certainly, Catherine, and that's one of the real jeopardy that we're we're really focusing our minds on. And you heard... How um, can the two see people... I'm sorry to speak over you, Mace. I've just... Time's going on me, and I just... This is important. Um, How can the two see people get on with their lives when they can't sell out but they're going to have to live in their homes in what is deemed to be, to use Lyle's words earlier, intolerable risk to life for a period of years. Yeah, Um, so that is the jeopardy that I um, mentioned. So the immediate and imminent risk is, is low. It's really this program is looking at future risk of climate change, the need for climate adaption. Um, so, but there is a risk. We acknowledge, we certainly acknowledge that, and that's what we're lending our mind to. Those will take potentially years, and the longer it takes, the greater the risk. So, lending your mind to it means what? Is it so, worth having the discussion yeah, so over working, whether more homes should be offered a buyout? That's one of the levers we could pull with central government as more homes are purchased and then those areas are redeveloped in the future where it's safe to do so. 
The other thing is having um, having a, a, a fast track pathway for the consents that are required and with support of central government um, to make to allow us to go faster um, in getting those uh, solutions in place. And is that conversation alive with central government right now? Yes, it's been alive for some time. And with we're whom? Working together with please. Uh, we've been, the mayor and Councillor Hills met with the Minister of uh, Emergency Management and Cyclone and Recovery, um, so the Honourable Mark Mitchell, on Monday. Uh, and we're working actively with the Cyclone Recovery Unit uh, to explore those options, um, including with other recovery uh, regions such as the Hawke's Bay. Right. I really appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Mace Ward is Auckland Council Deputy Group Recovery Manager.